bitch is bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And we've got a special bonus pod. Uh, we're talking resolutions today. Yay. Um, I don't really do resolutions. I didn't this year. But you have before? Yes. Oh. Any crazy ones? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and by February, they're forgotten. Yeah, like... End of February. <laughs> I think my the one I made last year was like try to go to twelve yoga classes just like once a, once a month. I think I made it through four. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think um, if I want to do something, uh, usually I'll think about it for a bit, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, you know, you think about the implementation and what you want to do and blah blah blah, and then. Probably, I I just kind of take it on when I'm ready to take it on. Okay, so you, just don't, you don't necessarily do, do them all in January. You no. do them like throughout the year. You'll yeah. be like refocusing. Right, so I've been like keto for since, and since September. Like that was Mostly not, on. Yeah, well. It was Christmas, so I had a yeah. You know, I ate I ate two pieces of cake, and Ooh. it just went bam. <laughs> like, it was just like sugar rush. Oh my overload. gosh, overload, all of that stuff. Yeah. So I'm still like readjusting mm-hmm. to to back to not eating really sugar or carbs or anything. But mm. um, and it's not like I don't eat any carbs. Like I have beans. I eat beans and peas and lentils yeah, but and stuff. Those are also like a source of protein. That's right. So, um, yeah, and I eat fruit. So I'm not like, yeah, no fruit because it has too much sugar. Because I think that's just silly. Right. But you know, um, but it's done well for me. Like I really like the mental acuity I have. Mm-hmm. I. It's less about the weight. I've yeah. noticed I've lost weight, but, and, you know, like my clothes fit nicer and all that, and that's all nice. But it's funny, like for the first time, the weight is a byproduct. Okay. It's not the main event. Right. So it's like I'm more focused now. I'm more able to adjust quicker. I'm more agile mentally now. So I really like that. I really like going through life like that. And I'm more productive. Do you feel like when because you're not eating sugar or carbs or whatever um, that you've restricted yourself? Or like how does that type of mental thing? So at first, so the first, I guess, few weeks, so maybe three weeks, your your body's like adjusting. You're tired. Um, maybe two weeks. You're tired. You're, you know whatever um and i think after that um you get used to it right and every everything if you're going to so i i will probably eat sugar or eat something carby once a week anyway 
right? right? So now I'm at the stage where I'm kind of like in maintenance mode. And so I'm, I'm not completely restricting myself. Yeah. But I do know that I'm more mindful of what I take into my body. And that's really another huge benefit. So if I'm going to eat a croissant, and I love, listen, I have a sugar, I love sugar. Oh my God, me too. I love sugar. I love baked goods. I love pastry. It, this is a big thing for me. Um, so if I'm going to eat a croissant, I'm not just going to eat like any store-bought croissant that's hanging around right you want the best of the Uh, best right and i'm gonna i'm gonna pay my two three dollars to get that one and savor it and i think that's really important too is that i've just become more mindful okay and so it makes food and my relationship with food a bit different oh interesting yeah um much different actually than ever before well, the reason I asked that is just because of who our guest is for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to say my my m- most memorable resolution was to try something new each month for a year. Oh, nice. So it was like very achievable and very um, – but like forced me to really think outside the box a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it was things like – um, I tried bone marrow and did like a bone marrow luge like for a dinner once. What is a bone marrow luge? So you have like the bone where like the marrow is in. Yeah. And then after they give you like a shot of, I, I don't remember what sort of alcohol was, but you like hold up the the bone to your mouth and they pour the shot down the bone and it gets like all of the rest of the marrow. And Really? Yeah. And it's I, not I, attractive. No, but like. The it's marrow- delicious. Dude, listen. People, if you are basically black, um, <laughs> <laughs> then you know the love of chewing on a chicken bone. Mm. Chewing on listen, a chicken Asians bone. Listen, Asians too, man. Yeah? Okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay, so chewing- They get right in there. Chewing on the chicken bone and then getting the marrow is the best, okay? It's like you've accomplished something. <laughs> You know, you dug deep. Oh, my God. Oh, I love it. I still do it. But for some reason, I only chew on the chicken bones that I bake the chicken or is homemade. Like, right. I don't do it with like, you know, if I'm eating out, obviously, I don't do that. But, you know, I mean, I I get the marrow thing is my point. That is my point. So I don't think that that's crazy. Although adding alcohol to it, I never thought of that. Recommend. (laughs) Yeah, doesn't take good photos, but it's delicious. What kind of bone? Like a like a beef. Okay, bone. I oh, think. Oh, so it's like the enclosed. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, those are harder to get. Yeah. 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 More rewarding. Yes. Yes. Um, moving I love, on. I love that we're talking about chewing on chicken bones. This is this is very. It's really black right it, now. It really. I is. feel really white. <laughs> And I'm only half white. <laughs> U.S. Indians and Africans know what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, we want to talk about resolutions. We want to talk about kind of the darker side of revolu- resolutions, I think. Um, our guest today is Melissa Fabello. She is a doctoral candidate in human sexuality studies. Um, she also is a speaker, uh, writer, writer. 
um, who covers body politics, beauty, culture, and feminism. Um, and we'll be speaking to her in just a few moments. Cool. Stay tuned. All right. So we're here today with Melissa Fabello. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're definitely pumped for you to join us on this conversation regarding resolutions uh, and mm-hmm. feminism and, you know, all those weird little subsections there. Um, so Eric and I had just finished talking about any resolutions that we have had in the past. Um, I was saying that my most successful one was a commitment to do 12 different things that I'd never done before over the course of a year. That's cool. Um, yeah, my most successful one to date for sure. Other than that, I don't really do resolutions. Uh-huh. Yeah, neither do I. I'm off sugar, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> but still pleasant and wonderful. Oh, yeah. No, I love it. Like, I, it's, I have a new lease on life. It's great. But for, yes. But for me, it's like, it was, like, yeah, it, what kept me on it, it was that, as I was saying before, I got this like new level of mental acuity. So I was so responsive and so I'm so present, you know what I mean? And so to me that like, I'm not slaw, I'm not, I don't feel sluggish or slothy or anything like that. And I feel like I'm moving through life in a much more energetic way. So that's what I love about it. Um, so Melissa, do you have any resolutions that you have done in the past? You know, I really, so because of the kind of connotation of a resolution, like I really don't like them. Like I really Mm. like, they stress me out and also like, I don't know. I feel like they cause me like too much anxiety. And I also think it like puts too much pressure on like January 1st. It's just like very big, important day. And I love the new year's season. My birthday is also in January in the beginning of January. So it's like just this like you know, few weeks where I'm, like, very, very much thinking about, um, you know, like, my past, like, reflecting on the past year and thinking about the future, I do set intentions, um, which I feel like are a little less committal than a resolution, but let me tell you a wild story. Are you ready for this wild story? (laughs) You're gonna die. Yeah, so, um, when I was younger, so I'm talking like high school, so like late 1990s, um, early 2000s, which probably some of your listeners were like born then and have no idea what I'm talking about. But Possible. at that time, um, you know, we didn't have cell phones, so um, which was a blessing and a curse for yes. sure. So if we wanted to call someone with a different area code, we had to like call them on the house phone, like the landline long distance, and it was very expensive. So Um, and I had all these friends online from AOL and we had created these like offline kind of relationships and we would call each other or whatever. Anyway, the point being, I was always getting in trouble with my parents for making long distance phone calls because they were very expensive. So one year, not for new year's, but for Lent. So I grew up Catholic. So for Lent one year, I gave up long distance calls, right? So the idea is you give something up for 40 days. So I was like, I'm going to give up long distance calls. I'm not going to make any long distance calls for this like period of time. I kid you not, by the end of Lent, one of the friends who I had um, had this relationship with, who I had wanted to call, who lived in Alabama, died. <gasps> I, yes, oh my gosh. Not. Yes. And after that, I never made any kind of promises like that ever again. Like I was like, God was like, fuck that. 
like that plan. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my Isn't god! Wild. The story actually gets more wild, but that, that is going to get to be a really long answer. But then it turned out she wasn't dead. I should really honestly it should be a TV show. But anyway, so my understanding was that she was dead. So Isn't she that... punked you? Uh, kind of. It's it's complex. <laughs> it's very complex. wow. Like yeah, that could be its own like serial basically. Is, like, is this person alive today? Um, as far as I know, we're not friends anymore. So, oh. but I but I think so. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, it was, didn't go very well after that. <laughs> yeah. So after that, I was like, I'm not giving shit up. I'm not making promises. Like, fuck that. So that was the last time. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if if you can top that, please let us know. I I I couldn't anyway. even top that. Like that's that's extra. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? Um so <laughs> shifting gears a bit. So you're a doctoral <laughs> candidate in human sexuality studies. Um I am. and what does that mean? <laughs> I hate talking about this. Okay, so <laughs> What it means, what I tell people is that doctoral candidate is the fancy way or the nice way to say that I'm in the middle of writing a dissertation right now. The um, more accurate way would be to say I'm in this like really special hell that no one in my life possibly could understand. So a doctoral candidate, so when you're um, doing a PhD program, you are a PhD student or a doctoral student until you pass your exams. So um, you do like comprehensive exams at some point to like prove that you know everything there is to know about this topic at that point you're approved to write a dissertation um, which is like your um, capstone project to Mm -hmm. get your doctorate degree so at that point now you're a candidate you're a candidate for doctor like the title of doctor basically so it's like a fancy term within academia you know but like in real life people don't know what that means but that's that's what it means it means I passed my exams I'm writing a dissertation cool and so um, your focus on human sexuality studies, um, and what uh, what is your 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 dissertation on? My dissertation is a phenomenological exploration of how women with anorexia nervosa make meaning of their experiences with skin hunger. Skin hunger is the extent to which we crave sensual touch, so hugs, cuddling, holding hands, um, massage, stuff like that. So um, there's a lot, a lot of research out there that says that women with anorexia do not enjoy sex, are very sexually avoidant, um, fearful, immature um, around the idea of sex. Um, but then I was like, okay, cool. But like, what about other kinds of touch? Like, no one was like, okay, but do you like hugs? Like, nobody like asked that right. um, in any of the research. So I was like, I had been told one time um, that you shouldn't go for a doctorate degree um, until you have a question that hasn't been answered yet. Um, I didn't follow that rule, but when I discovered that, I was like, well, there's my question that no one's asked that hasn't been answered. So that's what I wrote my dissertation on. It's not like I'm super excited about the concept of touch so much as I realized there was a gap in the literature. So I set out to fill it. Hmm. Interesting. And so in addition to your dissertation, you also do a lot of speaking and a lot of writing. Yeah. So what I tell people now, like when people ask me what I do for a living, um, I tell them that I'm basically a professional expert, that people just pay me for my opinions, um, (laughs) that I write and speak and do workshops um, and consult (laughs) and that I'm a professional expert. So yeah, I do. Um, Mostly at the intersections of social justice and body politics. So, um, you know, feminism from an intersectional perspective and um, how we think about bodies and how that affects like how we move through space is a lot of what I write about. Eating disorders, beauty culture, and yeah, just like body acceptance. So 
one thing that we haven't touched on the podcast um, is the concept of body politics. So what can you tell our listeners what that means and what that entails? Yeah. So it's really like exactly what it sounds like politics pertaining to the body. So that can be anything um, within that sphere. And I think it's really important that when we talk about body politics, we talk about body acceptance, we talk about like body positivity and all these things that we look at it from like a wide intersectional um, lens um, and be very inclusive about it. Most people, they think body acceptance stuff and they just immediately think like um, negative body image, which obviously is super important. And there's a lot of the work that I do, but body politics also involve, um, you know, police brutality against black and brown people. It includes, you know, really high rates of murder against trans women of color. It includes high rates of sexual violence against native women. It includes anything, it obviously includes stuff like abortion um, and rights to, uh, you know, women's or people with uteruses rights to their bodies. Um, so it's really anything that has to do with the fact that, like, your body plays a role in your experience of the world in, like, a socio-political way. You know what? I was listening to um, with friends like these this morning. And I was uh, – there was somebody on – Rebecca Carroll, I think, is her name. And she was a producer on the Charlie Rose show, A Woman of Color. Mm-hmm. And she talked about the difference in harassment – um, between with, with Charlie Rose in terms of how he approached white women and how he approached black women. Like, he didn't really mm. harass black women, but in the same way, um, black women and white women were not in control of their bodies or their movements. Mm. And I thought that was a very important distinction to be made because um, I, I really do think when we think about, like, you know, sexual harassment and so on and so forth. We think about, you know, a hand on the breast or a, or a right. touch or whatever. But it, it, it encompasses more, or this is what I learned, <laughs> it encompasses more um, your right to move your body in a space and to have it safe yes. from being sort of preyed upon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I talk to people about this in terms of like street harassment a lot because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of men will say like, oh, it's just a compliment or whatever. And it's like, but it's not. And it also makes me feel unsafe to be in public. That's like right. the idea that I can't move my body in space, like what you're saying, like and just fucking walk to the post office without having a man tell me to smile or that I look nice today or like whatever. To me, that makes me feel unsafe. That makes me feel seen in a way that feels like creepy and gross and right. like not friendly. Exposed. <laughs> You're yes, exposed. exposed. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like an exploit. It's like exploiting the fact that I am a human being walking outside. <laughs> like, exactly. And that, that's when it becomes harassment is like, you make me feel unsafe. I don't feel safe in that situation. And it's, and, and it's, it's contextual, right? And, and yeah. at the end of the day, it is men who are still controlling that space. Exactly. And I think that's that that's exactly. what we have to realize is that we are moving our, we don't have a right to our bodies in that space because that space is not constructed for us or by us. That's exactly what it is. And it's hard to explain that to people who, A, have never experienced street harassment and don't understand how, how disturbing it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, yeah, who just don't have an understanding of that idea of like people in power um, creating spaces for them by them. Um, and that, and that as, you know, any kind of oppressed person, any marginalized person that, yeah. that there's this understanding that you're like, um, 
like an intruder on that space and so therefore people can make you like white men for example can like make you feel like you don't belong there and that's right. exactly what it feels like if I'm just chilling and you know some dude makes me feel like you know an object like that makes me feel like oh I, I don't belong here or I need to I need to find a new way to walk home yeah, because that group yeah. that group of guys was always bothering me. Yes, you know? actually, there was a piece in the New York Times recently that talked about that, about about the guys at the corner. Um, it was it was in relation to Black women and Me Too, and mm-hmm. you know about you know having our Me Too moment and guys at the corner and and you know you know you just hope that they won't say anything, so you make you try to make yourself invisible. Oh my gosh, it's yeah. so trying to don't make eye contact. Like, yes. like, like, I feel like whenever, like, men are kind of, like, street harassment doesn't happen or, like, whatever, and if there's, like, other women around, like, I'm like, tell me how you feel. Just say out loud what you, how you feel when you are walking and you see, like, construction workers. Like, what is, like, your first instinct? And, like, everyone is always, like, cross the street yeah. or, like, look down, put in yeah. my headphones. And it's, like, that, <laughs> the fact that that is all of our experience yeah. <laughs> tells yep. you something. Yeah. That tells you something. Yeah. So what we why we wanted to talk about body politics um, uh-huh. in relation to um, resolutions is because particularly you is because you've written a number of pieces recently regarding body acceptance and New Year's resolutions um, and diet resolutions. Uh-huh. Um, so I think before we get into those more specifically, um, I think it's important to talk about the diet cycle. Yes. Um, because this was a concept that I was just recently introduced to. Um, so, and I don't know that Erica has really read about it. I had to go look it up. Um, so yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So what's so interesting is it's one of those things where once I say it, you go, Oh yeah. (laughs) I was like, that's, yeah, that's a thing. Right. So the diet cycle is basically this idea that we, particularly as women, um, are told our whole lives um, that we should be as small as possible, and we get messages from everywhere that say that our weight um, plays a plays a role in like our you know our worth and our how respected we are and et cetera. So um, we go on diets, and most people who go on diets, it's a yo-yo diet. It's this experience of yo-yo dieting, and what happens? is that when you go on a diet, when you restrict calories, so that could be either through um, taking in fewer calories, like eating less, or it could also be through expending more calories, like exercising more, which some people don't realize is a diet. Um, If you are restricting calories in some way, your body freaks out. Like your body can't, your body doesn't understand the difference between a diet and a famine. You know, your body just knows that it's not getting the calories it needs to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, And after a while... Um, it starts shutting down systems, like all sorts of, you know, wild stuff starts happening to your body that people will recognize if they've been on diets, you know, like the idea that you can't stop thinking about food. That's not because you have poor willpower. It's because it's a survival mechanism that your body is like, you need food, find food, like it's making you obsessed so that you can't, so that you go looking for it. Um, but anyway, so, so things start shutting down and whatnot. Um, your like hunger cues get all fucked up. And so eventually you eat. Because your brain, your uh, like your midbrain function, like the most basic part of your brain, like the, your instinctual part of your brain, is like you need to eat or you will die. So it's, so it seeks out like really high calorie, really high fat, really high carbohydrate food, like pizza, for example, 
Um, and you end up binging on it because your body has no idea when it's going to get food again. So you binge and binge and binge and binge. And then you think something's wrong with you and you go back on a diet. So it goes back and forth. And it's also like people will go on a diet. It doesn't work because 95% of diets fail. So most people go on diets. They're not going to keep weight off for more than five years. So you go, you go on the diet. It doesn't work. You feel bad about yourself. You think it's your fault. And so then you go on another diet. Um, after you, you regain the weight. So you usually gain back more. And so then you, you go on another diet. And so that's just, this is the cycle that just repeats and repeats and repeats that you were just consistently in this, this cycle of yo-yo dieting, which is actually really dangerous for your body. Um, and a lot of the things that we think are associated with fat, um, and are associated with the idea of like being quote unquote overweight, which is a term I don't personally use. Um, but the things that we, a lot of things associated with that stuff is actually um, the, the the reason why it happens to people is because they yo-yo diet and that their body is like all out of whack. So, yeah. So that, I mean, that's kind of the, that's the basic idea. And I think people really honestly just believe like my mom, oh my gosh, I love my mom. I love mom. If you are listening, I love you. She Googles me sometimes. We have to be careful. <laughs> but, <laughs> but. She will go on Weight Watchers. I mean, my entire life, I, my mom has been on Weight Watchers. And it's like, Mom, it clearly doesn't work. It doesn't work, you know? And she'll be like, but it works at first, you know? And then mm. I fall off the wagon, and it's my fault. I'm like, you are paying these people a shit ton of money for a program that has not worked for 30 years for you. Worked being defined as you lose weight and you keep it off, right? right. So, like, it doesn't work. <laughs> Stop that giving the money. That is the greatest hustle of all time, I got to say. It really say. is. It's brilliant, It is right? brilliant. The upsell, Diet? gosh, on the comeback, damn. Yes. Because mm-hmm. they remember that they lost weight with you before. Exactly. Right? You know that it quote-unquote works. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Diet products or diet companies, diet programs, depend on your perceived failure. It depends on repeat consumers to work. So it has to convince you that it works and that it's your fault if you gain weight back. And that is exactly how they make money because you will go back to that program again and again and again. Hmm. It's wild. And it's like, it's so obvious when you think about it, right? And like, especially the capitalist system, like you're like, oh, duh, of course. Yeah, yeah, for but, sure. But, but we're so obsessed with the dream of being as thin as we can be that we are willing to forego fact, um, just like to keep that hope alive. Yeah, for sure. Like, people have literally, over the past, like, couple of weeks since I've been writing all these pieces about how diets don't work and we shouldn't go on, you know, diets, <laughs> um, multiple people have written to me to say, like, I'm really offended by this work that you're putting out there because, you know, when you say stuff like diets don't work, sorry, not sorry, like, that makes me feel like I'm stupid if I go on a diet. And I'm like, I, I, you're not stupid, but you're being duped. Like, if 95% of diets right. fail, <laughs> like, what do you want me to say? You want me to say, oh, but it might work. Like, it, no, I'm not going to say that. That's so, ridiculous. So what do you recommend instead? Not weight loss. I think I think that there's – what I tell people is when they're in a space where they're feeling like um, something's wrong with their bodies, to really sit with, like, what that means for them. Because a lot of us do feel bad in our bodies. Like, not just about our bodies, but in our bodies. A lot of us aren't getting enough sleep. We're not drinking enough water. We're not drinking – we're not eating foods that um, – you know, are nutritious or that work for our bodies. There's a lot of things we don't move, you know, those are all things that actually, yeah, like we do need to do. Right. So I would say like, yeah, if you want to change the way you feel in your body, like for sure, like find a fitness class that like gets you pumped, 
You know, that you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I love going to this dance class or I discovered yoga and I love yoga. Like, find something that works for you that makes you happy <clears throat> rather than thinking of exercise as a punishment. Think of it as something that make, brings you joy. You know, if you're not, if, yeah, the food that you're eating is like, oh, wow, like, I don't feel great after I eat a whole pizza. Well, yeah, no shit. Like, of course you don't. So, like, <laughs> all right, so let's think about what we can maybe eat for dinner instead. You know, like, I think, I think that it's not body-based resolutions that are the problem or, like, diet based not diet isn't restricting but like diet yeah. is like what you eat or like yeah. fitness based like those aren't the problem the problem is that we think we do those things for weight loss rather than for just joy well, you know or or comfort well i you know i was uh, i was saying i was saying off air to aaron that um i read this book a while ago called women food and god by janine roth And it starts out as like a weight loss book, a book about, you know, a journey through weight loss. And really, it's a journey through emotional healing. Yes. And what I find is that we like to separate emotions from everything Mm -hmm. because we don't like to deal with icky feelings. But they come out. They Uh always come out. And in some way, shape or form, we have to repair our sort of. I don't know, spiritual relationship with food. Well, with yeah. any, any sort of substance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but the thing is, is that, is that if you're, if you're like a heroin user, you don't need heroin, you need food, right? Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. the difference. And yeah. so, I mean, what do you, do you look at that part and what part, how does that play out into the whole diet cycle in the story? I mean, I talk to people a lot about that, using that kind of um, analogy when I talk about eating disorders, because being in eating disorder recovery myself or dealing with people or working with people who are in eating disorder recovery, the thing that um, is hard for people to understand who have never been through that is that it's, it is a constant battle because similar to like being a sober alcoholic, Mm -hmm. you can find ways to stay away from alcohol. Like I imagine that it's very, very difficult, especially because drinking is very a cultural, a social thing. So I imagine it's very difficult, but you can do it. You cannot avoid food. You can't not be in situations where you have to eat (laughs) because you have to eat. Right. So it's, it's hard. And I think that you're right. This idea of like healing our relationship with food, when we've been taught our whole lives that we can't, um, decipher or discern what kind of food we need that we have to be told how to do it. Um, we believe that, but that's ridiculous because if you look at a baby, when a baby is hungry, a baby cries and then you feed the baby. And when the, when it's not hungry anymore, it just stops eating. Like it is a very clear, intuitive, um, under even people who go to our, so I would recommend stuff like mindful eating or intuitive eating, which is basically healing your relationship with your body and reconnecting with your body's intuition because your body knows what's in season. Your body knows when it needs fats, your body, your body knows, and it will crave those things for that reason. Um, but because it's all, because we're like trying to control it all the time, uh, it takes, it takes time to get into a, get into a situation where you can eat intuitively. But maybe, um, it's, it's really a relearning process, but maybe that's the issue is that control right? Oh yeah. 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 The idea that we have control over our bodies is absurd. Just like in, in general, like our bodies carry us through space. Um, but like we can't control what our bodies do. Obviously we can like kick or something like we can decide, okay, I'm going to move my foot this way. But like we can't, we don't have control over what our bodies look like um, right. for the most part. So yeah, cause we can't control like our metabolism and how. We... Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's futile. But if we can't control the space that our bodies move in, we can definitely control our bodies. 
I think that's part of the sort of underlying kind of subconscious shit. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, I mean, it's because, right, because a lot of, it's, it's, when we talk about stuff like diet culture, we're not just talking about a culture of thinness, which is also, which is, you know, what most people think of, and that is definitely what it, part of it, but it's also a culture of whiteness, it's a culture of, like, cis normativity, it's a culture of, it's all these things that when we think about diets, like, it's people who are the most marginalized, who are the ones who are told to control their bodies, these are people who are going to be more susceptible to finding ways to control their bodies as a coping mechanism for oppression, so, so it makes sense. Yeah. If you can't control your outside environment, but you can't control your body. So many people with eating disorders, that's their story mm-hmm. that like something happened to them or, you know, some like realization that they had. Like a lot of people will say in puberty is when their relationship with food got fucked up or relationship to their body because all of a sudden like they're um, being seen differently right. um, by the world and that that was scary and confusing. And so to try to get back to, you know, subconsciously to a body that that doesn't have hips and breasts and whatever, they stopped eating, for example. Or people mm. say they experienced sexual violence so that they didn't stop eating. They were mm. like, I need to create a fortress of my body. Yes, That's I've a heard lot of that a lot. Experience. Yeah. Make yeah. it undesirable. Yeah. 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 Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I think, I mean, the idea of control, I think, I think we can get into the singular narrative of eating disorders are about control or eating issues are always about control. And I I think that that can be dangerous, but I do think that control is a huge aspect for people who don't have power in society to want to have control over something. Do you think that like, I find that like people are increasingly like given in the Trump presidency and everything are increasingly anxious and are trying to just grasp at control. Do you think people are now possibly more susceptible to trying to control their lives in any way possible? I think it's possible. I mean, people have asked me that before. I I don't have any research to say that that's true. So like, I don't want to just like make shit up. (laughs) Like (laughs) I, I could see that being true. Like I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years, like a study came out that said that that is true. Um, I don't know that I've like, even anecdotally, like witnessed anything particularly like any shifts, but I wouldn't be surprised if people are feeling extra out of control. And again, that can just, that can trigger if someone's already like predisposed, um, psychologically or neurobiologically, um, to have issues with food. I could see how that could trigger it for sure. Hmm. Um, so you kind of already have hinted about this, but, you know, given it's resolution season and people generally like to feel this like rebirth, either at the beginning of the year of a new year or at the mm-hmm. beginning of the like metaphorical school year in like August yeah. or September. Um, and everyone's making, you know, gym resolutions and, you know, weight loss, not a, or not even weight loss, but like food resolutions mm-hmm. um so you kind of hinted at why they're problematic is because they focus more on weight loss than anything else um how could those types of resolutions be shifted to achieve the same like a better objective or become more positive yeah i mean i think it's hard because I, we live in a we live in a culture that's so obsessed with dieting and weight loss that it's like you're never really gonna know what your uh, kind of true like intention is when you when you make these kinds of decisions like if we lived in a world that celebrated fat bodies for example I, I absolutely do not believe that we would have so many fitness and diet resolutions like no way um, so I think yeah so I, I think one thing is really that you have to sit with why you're making the decision that you're making 
Um, but like I kind of said before, like, I think what it comes down to is like making choices for your body that you're doing because it's what your body wants, not because it's what you want your body to be. But like my body needs, like, I mean, I gave this example earlier, but like water, I, at one point in my life, a few years ago, made a concerted effort to drink 50 to 60 ounces of water a day. And it changed a lot. One, I had to pee a lot more. (laughs) But also, like, I realized that I was like, oh, my gosh, I really, like, if I'm not thinking about it and, like, really forcing myself to do it, I don't drink enough water. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, I I would get headaches if I didn't have enough water. And I'd be like, where are these headaches coming from? And when I started drinking more water, like, my headaches went away. Um, Stuff like that. So, I mean, I I do think that there are things that you're like, oh, my body obviously needs this. This is good for my body. I mean, doing those things are, are important. Even, like, I think about fitness stuff and, like, I'm in my 30s. And I know that's not old, but I also feel, you know, that is the point at which biologically your body is like, all right, it's time to die. I mean, like your body is like, it's, you're not, you're not a spring chicken anymore. Like, and so I think a lot of like, I see my parents who are in their sixties and like, they can't walk very far. They can't bend down. They can't get off the couch. And I'm like, I, I literally tell them like, I do yoga so that I'm not like you. I know. I'm with you. I am with you. It's scary. It is. Like I started. So I started weightlifting uh-huh. a few years ago. Uh, totally changed my life, by the way. It was great. Like I, I haven't. I, I had a car accident, so I haven't been back for a bit. But one of the things that I was thinking of doing is, of course, going back and weightlifting again. Not because I want to look a certain way but just because it made me feel like I could take over the world and then you know it it was easier to like to like stand up and not slip on the ice because my balance was better right exactly and and like it it and then like I could I could run for the bus easier or something (laughs) like that you know what I mean like that's real like that is real and you're just like like before I was just like like okay i can do yes. this i'm like i'm like wait wait for me you know what yeah, i mean I, i'm picturing it. I, see I, it I i i love it it's great but the ability to be mobile and we again to move that your body through space with strength and confidence is it should not be underestimated that's right. my piece and i mean like even like i was thinking recently like i do yoga yoga is great for strength flexibility balance i'm a power yoga really, lover here yeah. It's, yeah right but like but it's not really a cardio workout no. like so so i was thinking about this and i was like you know i really don't get any cardio in my life and i should probably do that because i get winded when i go upstairs yeah so i was like all right i need cardio in my life because i want to be able to walk upstairs and not be winded so right. I was like, I'm going to get a gym membership because it's freezing outside now. So I'm not talking, I'm going to go outside and play basketball or something. So I was like, I, I'll get a gym membership and I can just like go on a treadmill or whatever. And I realized that I, it was, I wasn't doing it. Like I, I, I wasn't doing it. it. And and then I was like, it's because I hate that. I hate the gym. I was like, I'm not going to go to the gym. That's not going to happen. So I was like, where, so then I started looking at, okay, are there like some dance classes and stuff like that, that I could go to where I'm like actually going to do something I enjoy. And it just so happened that it helps my body. And I think that one doing something moving in ways that are joyful to you is so important but then also like how you're measuring success is important Mm -hmm. because if you're busting out a scale and busting out you know your measuring tape 
and your little, that weird pinchy thing that tells you how much body fat you have. Like Mm -hmm. if that's how you're measuring your success, like that's going to make you body obsessed. It's going to make you obsessed with your aesthetics. But if you're just, if you're measuring your heart rate or your blood pressure or like whatever, you know, like I always tell people because they'll say, oh no, like this shit is about health. It's not about beauty. I'm like, that is bullshit because if it was really actually about health, you would be sharing your fucking like cholesterol levels on Instagram rather than your before and after selfie. Look how I look. Like that doesn't tell me that you're healthy. That tells me that you're thinner. Like show me, you know what I mean? Like what's your heart rate? What's your resting heart rate? Yeah. I was just, (laughs) that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, what's your resting heart rate? Exactly. (laughs) So I think, yes. I mean, it's, so I think it's really like, people think I'm anti-fitness. Like (laughs) people will think like you hate fitness. Like, no, I don't. Like I hate the way that we think about fitness. And I think that needs right. to change. Mm-hmm. Totally. I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you the fitness isn't good for you. It's like one of the only things you can let that's like proven is good for your body. It's like you have to move. Sure. So like, I'm not going to tell you that that's not true, but you shouldn't be doing it because you, you're punishing yourself for where you ate yesterday. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so aside from like my day job, um, I am also a spin instructor and oh, cool. one of the things that we definitely try to get away from is teaching, telling people that, oh, like, you know, you've, you've worked out and now you've earned that extra right, whatever, cake. Yeah. um, or you've earned that extra drink, um, or you're like punishing yourself. And like, even I hear that stuff around the office all the time. Like, oh, I ate this thing. I have to go work it off. And mm-hmm. it just drives me bananas. And it's also, like, it's silly because, like, and obviously I'm not going to bring this up and make people more, like, uh, worried, but it's sort of, like, the amount of calories that was in that cake that you just ate is not going to be worked off by, you know, a 10-minute run on a treadmill. So, like, why? Like, don't, don't, that's not even comparable. No. So, like, it's just, like, that. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's silly. And, like, I've actually told, like, the owners of the yoga studio that I go to that there is, like, one teacher in particular who makes, like, random, like, sometimes she'll just say, like, like, oh, if it's, like, May or June and we're doing something that's very, like, core-heavy, she'll be like, oh, you'll thank me later when you get into that bikini or whatever. And I'm like, mm-mm, no, I do not come to yoga to be pulled out of my, like, meditative state to yeah. start getting political in my head or, like, to be triggered. Like, that is not why I'm here. Yeah. So if I wanted that, I would go to just, like, a run-of-the-mill fitness class where people are going to be like, yeah, like. That's not get the that. point of right. yoga. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like that's not like that's not like in line with like, the beliefs of yeah. yoga. So I need you to get your shit together. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> let's take it down a notch, okay? <laughs> yeah, like let's go back to like our foundations of yoga practice. Yeah, because <laughs> like, it's not this. No. Um. All right. So you. So a good resolution would be more focused on a broader general change than a very more specific one. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I would say bro- I would say like a like a what? lifestyle change rather than. Kind of. I mean, I don't like the term lifestyle change because I think that I think that people use it, but it's really still a diet. <laughs> so, like, I'm worried about quote unquote lifestyle change. But like, literally, yes. Like, if you are like, I want to go to the, I want to, yeah, take a dance class or I want to do yoga or like whatever. Um, rather than I'm going to go to the gym three times a week or like whatever, because yeah. I also think that people are not realistic in their goals. Sure, like yeah, like, just like be- being more active in right. 2018. Yeah, I mean, even like something like if you think you need more vegetables in your diet, which most people do, if you think you need more vegetables, don't try to you, you know don't make every single meal of the day vegetable heavy. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're that's not sustainable. Yeah. You need to do something sustainable, slow. <laughs> Take yeah. your time to make this to whatever this changes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um. Yeah, I don't have any other questions. I have Erica. nothing. 
I, 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 I got told you nothing. everything you need to know. You've given me everything. I know. I've changed your so life. You have a yeah. lot to think about. I learned a lot. <laughs> well, this is good because honestly, I didn't expect to actually make the connection with, with body and space and all that. It's just... It's just that I was cleaning this morning and that's what it's like in the background. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Okay, yeah. So I'm glad you put that together as to what, because it, it answers a why, why this stuff is important. Yeah, and it is. It's really important, especially because like we said, like you have to eat, you have to drink, you have to move, you have to do all these things. So how do we have a healthy relationship with doing it? Exactly. Yeah, and it gets even like more challenging when you think about like the economic considerations for people also oh yeah absolutely that's a huge yeah class and capitalism is a huge issue when we're talking about food and access to all sorts of things huh. all right wow really <laughs> i really i really I'll brought that down <laughs> <laughs> um so this has been great yep uh thanks for joining us Oh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, all the way from cold Philly. Is it still cold there? It's very cold. Yes, it's, I think, negative, like, five degrees. Okay, that's Fahrenheit. Uh, I don't, I, I, I have <laughs> oh, no clue. Uh, I can't help you there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, it's, just, it's, it's very cold. <laughs> uh, that's negative 20 Celsius. Okay. Oh, you're in, like, I, our, you're in our zone. Yeah. Because we're minus 21 right now, which is, like, kind of minus... And then Five, with the wind chill. Well, there yeah. you go. It's very, yeah. And then we're chill, like yeah, minus cold. 30 something with wind chill. Yeah. Phenomenal. It's really great. Yeah. yeah it's fabulous. I love it. I love Fabulous. <laughs> cool. So thanks so much. And uh, hopefully we can have you back sometime. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Cool. Well, Erica, that was awesome. Okay. She was totally, I, I was vibing with her. Okay. That was just the most energetic guest we've had uh, i think yeah she's just like an expert on like podcasting on her content yeah yeah great um i learned a lot so did i actually like i i honestly didn't put all that stuff together Me until either. the podcast like yeah. until i yeah it was like i didn't but everything's connected everything's connected yeah I had a very narrow view of what uh, body, body politics yeah. was. Me too. So. Because I didn't really think about um, policing black bodies Same. or, you know, indigenous women. Yes. And policing their bodies and the safety of their bodies. And we always think of it as thin as in, you know, or, or, as weight spe- or related weight or in specific industries like fashion is a yeah. huge industry for that right and it's not it's every day it's the me too it's sexual harassment it's it's everything yeah and so i thought that was i'm i learned a lot i hope you learned a lot too listeners <laughs> um so just before we shut her down um as always just a quick shout out to media style who are a progressive public affairs agency here in Ottawa. Uh, they are a social enterprise making Canada a better place. They let us use their space. Thank you, Media Style. So we're back in the back in the studio, just chilling. Chilling like a villain. Um, yeah, so don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, on Facebook at Bad and B Podcast, uh, on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod, and send us your thoughts 
uh, new content and love requests notes. too. Love notes. Yep. Um, to badandbpod at gmail.com. Anything else, Erica? Nope. Great. Oh, 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 rate us on iTunes, please. Yes. Yes. Rate us. Cool. Bye. Bye. All right, so um, did you have any questions for us before we get started, or? I don't think so. No. Seems pretty straightforward. <laughs> cool. Um, what color of your lipstick are you wearing today? Red. <laughs> <laughs> Erica was just like, I think, creeping your Instagram. It was just like... I was. I was like... That's acceptable. I was like, her lipstick is on point. Thank you. I do what I can. You know, I started the day with a neutral, a nude, and then I was like, what am I doing? Even though I'm just sitting inside all day, typing. You know what? Like, you know what, let's... though? What? I find that like um, feminists love makeup. <laughs> a you know lot what? of feminists it's, it's love funny. makeup. Yeah, it's funny how many like interviews I do where people ask me about that. Like yeah. they'll be like, "So feminism and makeup? What's your opinion?" <laughs> like I get I'm that like, so much. It's 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 really interesting because actually, I, yeah, I think it's like a reclamation. Yeah, it's like and and sort of like taking care of self because yeah. um, as somebody somebody. Somebody described it to me as, um, like, akin to like, like I this is this is not being me being religious, but I okay. thought it was a great sort of metaphor, and they talked about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, and then oh, people wow. washing their face and taking care of their skin and all of That's that. That's fucking deep. Isn't that some deep shit? I like it. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna yeah. use that for now. Like, this I'm is my telling you, experience. So I need you to just back off. Yeah, <laughs> back like, the fuck up. Why yeah. are you being oppressive to my minority religion? Well, <laughs> actually, we're um, we're also recording our uh, 23rd episode, and we're gonna have a piece on women in prison and makeup. Oh, interesting. And I think you'll like that. So stay tuned. Yeah, we'll I think, tweet I truly you. Truly think it's an int- uh, yes. I truly think it's an interesting topic. Yeah. The yeah the conversation about femininity is or very hegemonic femininity. I think is an interesting one. Totally.